From John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. This is Resurrection Sunday. Of course, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, right? That's, I explained that earlier, talked about that earlier. But today, at a time that coincides with the Jewish Passover, we place a very special interest and acknowledgement on the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you've ever wondered why Easter jumps around on the calendar, it, again, it coincides with the Passover. Now, what does the Passover mark? It marks the freeing of God's people from Egyptian bondage. And of course, we know that the Israelites were supposed to observe this feast every year to remind them of what God had done for them. If there had been no Passover, if God had not sent that final plague upon Egypt, the Israelites might have remained in Egypt for a very long time and might even be in bondage today. We don't know. Now, let me explain this. Christianity is unique, and I'm not going to call it a religion because it's not Christianity as a relationship. It is not a religion, but Christianity is unique in this world for one very important reason. We serve a living Savior. Amen. Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, all of them are still in the tomb. And so the message that the angel had when they, Mary and, and the other women came to the tomb was what? He's not here. He's risen. He is risen from the dead. Do you realize this is the message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost? You look over to the second chapter of the book of Acts, beginning in verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And I like to look at that because you know what it says? God planned this. God sent his son to die on the cross. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. God sent his son to die on the cross, and Jesus came forth out of the tomb. It's the message that Paul preached everywhere he went. Paul preached salvation by the grace of God through faith in Christ, and he preached the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. In fact, that's what got him in the most trouble, is the preaching of the resurrection. People didn't want to believe that Jesus could rise from the dead. Without the resurrection, 
the message of the death and burial of Jesus, folks, is not good news. If the man named Jesus came to this earth and was crucified and was put in a tomb and his remains are still in a tomb somewhere there in Israel, we're doomed. It's not good news. The message of the resurrection is the message that gives me and you hope. We look forward to that day that we're going to be resurrected. It is a message that we need to be declaring, folks, to our hopeless world today. We live in a world that, that doesn't even know where it's going, and most of the world is going to hell without Jesus Christ. And they need to hear the message of Jesus and the message of the resurrection. Do you realize if there were no resurrection to remember, there were no resurrection to acknowledge if the body had of Jesus had just stayed in that tomb, we today would still be under the curse of the law and of death and, and of sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul talks about the problems that we face if there is no resurrection. And he begins in verse 13 and he says, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. That word vain means empty as to content. In other words, he says, if there's no resurrection, what I'm doing right now is fake. It's phony. It's false. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, there's no use of preaching. There's no sense in preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. We're guilty of those that Paul talked about in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We've been turned unto fables. Amen. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're believing something that is absolutely not true. And if we preach it and don't believe it enough to live it, guess what? There's a word for that. You don't hear this word used much anymore. But if we preach it, claim to believe it, and don't live it, that's called hypocrite. Amen. You won't hear many preachers, I don't think, today use that word very much. But somebody who claims to know Christ as Savior and living by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and then doesn't live that way is full of hypocrisy. There's also a danger in verse 15. He says, Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. So you know what we're doing? We're being in danger of being false witnesses. We're in danger, if there's no resurrection, of saying that God did something that he did not do, if there is no resurrection of the dead. And you know what it's called when you credit or accuse God of doing something he did not do? Blasphemy. Amen, you're right. Blasphemy, that's what it's called. And so then if there's no resurrection, we're lying blasphemers, okay? What was the penalty for blasphemy under the Old Testament law? Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Leviticus 24, 16, And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. Verse 17 says this. Well, verse 16, for the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. 
ye are yet in your sins. So if Christ was not raised from the dead, we're in danger of a false faith. We're trusting something that didn't exist. We're trusting something that did not happen. I have this in my notes to myself. Strong statement warning right here, okay? You ready for this? This is a disclaimer. This is a warning. If Jesus did not rise, folks, his body is decayed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea right now, and we have no forgiveness of sins, and we are worshiping a false Messiah. You got to do something with the resurrection. You have to believe it or you have to deny it. Now we know that the blood of bulls and goats and the blood of any man can't take away sin. Micah chapter 6 verses 7 and 8. Micah asks this question, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. We trust God, we trust Jesus Christ. If there's no resurrection, verse 18 says, there's no hope of anything but destruction and punishment. Look at it. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If there's no resurrection, all of our loved ones who we're looking forward to seeing again, if they were saved and we're saved and we look forward to seeing them again, but if there's no resurrection, they're just perished and that's what's going to happen to us. That's what the Word of God says. Perish means destroyed, ruined, punished. And then verse 19. I like verse 19. It says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If the preaching and the teaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just something to get us through life, if it's just some story to help us to, to make it when a loved one dies, or just some story to help us to make it when we ourselves are facing death. You know what we're practicing? We're practicing the worst form of deceit there is. We are practicing self-deceit. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Amen. I'm glad to hear that. We know that Jesus rose from the dead. And Paul gives us some witnesses of that, and we're going to look at them for just a moment, but some try to deny the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ because it is the very heart of Christianity. Two men got together one time. I read this story years ago. Two men got together and decided if they could destroy the resurrection and if they could destroy the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, we know as the Apostle Paul, they could destroy Christianity. And they said, we will meet back together in a year you take the Apostle Paul, I'll take the resurrection, we will study, we will do our best to destroy these teachings. They met each other again in a year, and to their surprise, both of them had come to know Christ as Savior. <laughs> you've got to deal with the resurrection. You've got to believe it or you've got to deny it. There are people who deny the reality of God, re reality of Jesus, but he is real and the resurrection is real. And so in verse 20 here, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at what Paul says. I love, I love the word but in the Bible, okay? God was going to wipe out the world with a flood, but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. You go to Ephesians, the second chapter, and Paul in those first three verses describes what we were before we came to know Christ the Savior, but God who is rich in mercy. 
You come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here's all the problems we face if there's no resurrection. But now is Christ risen. Boy, that's just like the sun bursting through on a cloudy day. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. That declares the deity and it declares the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and it declares the very reason that we can have hope. But now is Christ risen from the dead. And I mentioned witnesses. You want witnesses? I think Paul's saying that to those in Corinth. You want witnesses of the resurrection? I'll give you witnesses of the resurrection. You look at verse 5. He says, and he was seen of Cephas. That's Peter. Okay. He was seen of Cephas and then of the 12. Well, there's you 12 witnesses right there. Okay. Of the resurrection. But keep reading. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. He said over 500 brethren saw him at one time. Most of them are still alive. In Paul's day, I'd like to go into court sometime with 500 witnesses, you know. I think any attorney worth his salt would want to go into court with 500 witnesses. Well, 512 maybe, all right. But you keep reading after that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And then he says in verse 8, And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Paul says the resurrection is real, and I'm a witness of it, and I can call other witnesses if I need to. Amen. So we come to our text. And we find that Jesus had been crucified. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome come to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus for burial. You remember that because it was a Sabbath, he was taken down hurriedly from the cross and he was put into Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, that borrowed tomb. And so now the Sabbath is over and they have come to properly prepare the body of the Lord Jesus for burial. And when they arrive, they find an empty tomb. And it's the one that Jesus had been put in. You know, on the way they'd been concerned about because the, the government had rolled a stone in front of the tomb and sealed it. And here these women are coming to prepare the body of Jesus for burial. And they say, how are we going to get the stone? Well, God took care of that, didn't he? The scripture says he's in an earthquake, move the stone. And then they get to the tomb. And in Matthew 28, the sixth verse, the empty tomb is announced by angels. He is not here. He is risen. But I love what the angel asked in the book of Luke in chapter 24. Why seek ye the living among the dead? Amen. You know, I've been some pastor in some churches, I felt like asking that sometimes, you know. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. And then it tells us that Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, were the first ones to deliver the message of the empty tomb to his apostles. And then we read here in John that John and Peter have a race, I guess, to the tomb. They want to see this thing that has happened. And John outruns Peter, but Peter's a little more impetuous than John is. Peter gets to the tomb and Peter, John got there and he looked in. Peter went on inside. And then the word of God tells us all of the things that Peter found. And then verse nine says they didn't know they didn't understand. They didn't realize. They didn't perceive the scripture when Jesus said what he did, that he must rise from the dead. But when they saw the empty tomb, it says here in verse 8 that John went in. He saw the empty tomb. He saw 
the grave clothes folded. He saw the napkin that was over the face folded. And it says he believed. There are a lot of interesting thoughts we can draw from these verses in relation to Christ's resurrection. Because the empty tomb has a message for us, has a message for every person. And first of all, it is a message of fulfilled prophecy. Amen. From the first utterance of the promise of a Savior, of a Redeemer in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Remember what God told the serpent, you're going to bruise his heel. That was Calvary. But he said, he's going to crush your head. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the crushing of the head of Satan. Amen. David declared the resurrected power and of Jesus Christ and of God in Psalm 16, verse 10. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. I love the words of Job in the book of Job in chapter 19, beginning in verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Job said, I'm going to see him. I'm going to be resurrected. He had confidence in the resurrection of the Messiah and confidence in his resurrection. He said, I'm going to see him with mine own eyes. Peter understood this truth. He preached it in Acts chapter 2. He quoted from the 16th Psalm in the second chapter of Acts. Paul understood it because Paul declared the resurrection. Acts chapter 13, verse 35. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And Paul quotes the 16th psalm. He affirms it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. God had said, My son is coming. My son will die. My son will be resurrected. And it is fulfilled. And even the Lord's grave clothes gave witness to this fulfilled prophecy. He was wrapped in a cloth. And the way they did it, they had a separate wrapping, they called it a napkin here, for his head. And when Peter and John entered the tomb, what did they find? The grave clothes were in one place, and the napkin. It's not that somebody hurriedly rushed in and pulled all of the grave clothes and the napkin off his face, but this was very carefully done. It is a message of fulfilled prophecy, and it declares to us that the Word of God is true, and you can believe all of God's promises. But it's also a message of victory. One of the greatest testimonies to the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is Mark chapter 16, verse 6. He is risen. He is not here. We sang because he lives a few moments ago. Now, I don't know if the place they took us was the actual tomb. The guides will tell you it is. It's there, Gordon's Calvary, Gordon's Golgotha. And they said when this particular tomb was found, they excavated and sent everything out of that tomb to England to be very carefully scrutinized and not even a single human hair was found in all of the remains of everything they sent to England. That's wonderful. Like I say, I don't know if that was the tomb or not, but what I've said before, I know if that wasn't the one, there's one just like it that's just as empty over there. And to be able to stand there on a little, in a little garden overlooking that tomb and sing because he lives and glance over your shoulder and see that empty tomb, folks. It's, it's thrilling. It's exciting to be able to do that because it's victory. An empty tomb uh, 
stone that's been rolled away. The seal of the government has been broken. Folks, that's the power of God. And he's demonstrating it right here. On the cross, Jesus was made to be the sin sacrifice for us. On the cross, he died in our stead. He was placed in a borrowed grave, but neither death nor the grave could hold him. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, and when I saw him, talking about the Lord Jesus, John saying this, he said, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. I know we may be looking forward to a lot of things when we pass from this life, and we're all going to. I want to see my mother and dad again. I want to see people that I've known that have gone. But you know, the first thing, and I think the most important thing, the thing we're going to want to see most when we pass from this life is to look into the face of our Savior. And He is going to be there. And we look forward to that. Not only did Jesus conquer death and hell and the grave, but he stands as our guarantee that all who receive him will come forth in victory. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. I read that a moment ago, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that beget loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous, for well, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. See, I said a moment ago, I asked a moment ago, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? And people said, amen. Well, how do you believe it? Do you believe it up here or do you believe it here? In your head or in your heart? Oh, preacher, yeah, I agree that Jesus rose from the dead. But does it have any effect on our hearts? Does it have any effect on our lives? 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to go back there for just a moment, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I said there's a lot of scripture in this. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 51. Listen to what it said. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Boy, some folks are going to die, and some folks will be caught up in the rapture, the catching up of the saved. In a moment... In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord himself shall descend from, I like that, you know. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. You know, some of us, he's going to have to yell, wake up! <laughs> but he's coming with a shout. Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. He's not just sending an angel to get us, folks. Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and then we're going to be caught up together to be with him. He says in verse 53, this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. This is corrupt right here. Every bit of this is corrupt. Oh, but one of these days, we get that we call it the glorified body. That, that is incorruptible, that is put on because we 
come into the presence of the Lord and we must have that glorify that incorruptible body to put on. And so when this corruptible shall I put on incorruption and this mortal shall I put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. I guess the thing that most people fear today is death. Well, some fear public speaking more than they fear death, but I, I understand, but most people fear death. But there's no reason to. I was telling the Sunday school class, I saw something and watched a bit of a video. He wasn't a Baptist preacher, but this man was preaching. He got through with his sermon and he died. I said, man, that's the way I want to go. Just right here. And then somebody reminded me, we've got that AED thing now and they'll zap me back to life and I won't stand a chance. But can you imagine fearing death when on the other side of death, if you're a child of God, is the glory of heaven and the presence of the Lord. And so he says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, which the word of God says is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it offers a message of victory. It offers a message of fulfilled prophecy. It offers a message of victory. It offers a message of redemption. The essence of our message. Any message that we have for this world, folks, is bound up in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the gospel, I said. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. That's the message. We make it so difficult to tell somebody about that. Listen, if you, as we sang a moment ago, if you serve a living Savior, okay? If you know he lives because he lives, you and I ought to be willing to tell people, I serve a living Savior. He's not in the tomb. He's not somebody we have to serve wondering how he lived. We have an account of how he lived. We have an account of how he died. We have an account of how he was resurrected. Mark 16, 15, he says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that's the message that we are to carry, the message of the resurrection of Jesus. And it's the message that God promised to bless with the salvation of souls. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's great plan of redemption for everyone, as Paul said, that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. And the resurrection of Jesus is very intricately involved in that plan of redemption. Romans chapter 4. We're going to read several verses here. But Romans chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works he hath whereof to glory but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. There's his faith right there. He trusted God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. Now drop down to verse 20 in that fourth chapter of Romans. 
He staggered, let's talk about Abraham now. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform, and therefore it was imputed unto him for righteousness. He trusted God. Now it was not written, listen to this. Get to here it comes right here. Now it was not written for his, Abraham's sake alone, that it was imputed to him but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Amen. There you have it. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And we're told about it in the word of God, not just so we can say, whoa boy, Abraham was a man of faith. Wow. No. So we will believe also. And that, through that faith, righteousness is imputed to us. Not our righteousness. We don't have any. I don't have any righteousness. You don't have any righteousness. The righteousness that we have as children of God is Christ's righteousness. Amen. And it's been imputed to us through faith in his blood. And that's the message that Paul preached. Because he said in Romans 10, 9, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. In other words, if you're truly saved, you're going to want other people to know about it. You're going to tell other people about it. I'm a child of God. There was a time that I was lost. I was headed for hell and I deserved it according to Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses. I deserved it. But God in his great mercy provided a sacrifice. God in his great mercy provided Jesus. But not only did he die on the cross, they buried him, but he rose again. He ascended to heaven. And I'm a child of God by faith in the shed blood of Jesus. Not by anything I've done. I can never, no person can ever earn their salvation, but only by the grace of God through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And it is the message of absolute assurance of our redemption in Jesus. You know what? I know there are folks who teach that you can lose your salvation. Only way a child of God could lose his salvation is if Jesus Christ could fail. And he didn't, he won't, he never will. My faith not in me. My faith in the Lord Jesus. See, it's not a matter of do, it's a matter of done. And remember last week, the message, the title of the message, hanging there on the cross just before Jesus dismissed his spirit from his body, what did he cry out? Tetelestai, it is finished, it's paid in full. You don't have to add anything. And people wonder, how can a child of God get far away from God? Well, he can. Second Peter chapter one, beginning in verse five, if you don't grow as a child of God, and that's basically what Peter's talking about. He said, you can get to the point you'll forget you ever were saved. I think there's a lot of folks like that. It's a message of absolute redemption. But here's the last thought. It's a message of judgment to come. Just as Certainly, as we can be sure that there's an empty tomb, folks, we can be sure that there's coming judgment. Now, as children of God, we know that we shall face, according to 2 Corinthians 5.10, we shall face the judgment seat of Christ. That's what it says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Jim, how have you used your salvation how have you used this life that you have in me? 
Well, he knows already, but, you know, I think there's going to be an accounting. But then there's another judgment also. Thank God you and I will not be there if you know Christ as Savior. But if someone doesn't know Christ as Savior, they will be there. If they have depended upon their goodness, their works, their church membership, what some preacher told them to do or something like that, to think they're going to heaven and they've never repented toward God and put their faith in Jesus Christ to be saved, they will stand before what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment of God. And this is not a judgment to find out whether you're saved or not. Revelation 20, verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Listen, people will either be in Christ or they'll be judged by Christ. I was asked one time this question. I've shared this with you before, but I was asked one time this question. says, at the great white throne judgment, who's going to be on the throne, God or Jesus? And I said, yes. <laughs> They're one and the same, folks. Acts 17, verse 31. It's going to be Jesus. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. It's a message of judgment to come. See, the issue folks have to deal with today, and I know there are a lot of issues, but here's the main issue. It's not education. It's not wealth. It's not appearance. It's not popularity. The issue everyone here and everyone in the world must deal with eventually is this. What have you done with Jesus? Pilate asked that question, remember? What shall I do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? And he washed his hands of him. He decided not to decide, and guess what? He decided against Jesus. And there are people who will decide not to decide today. Whether you're in here or you're watching by live stream or somebody that comes along later and watches the video and they say, well, you know, I'm just not going to decide right now. Well, when you decide not to decide, you decide against Jesus. Because you've got to do something with a risen Savior. You either have to believe Him and receive Him or you've got to reject Him. And there's absolutely no middle ground. Folks, the tomb speaks volumes to us today just as it did to those of Christ's day. It reminds us of the truthfulness of God's word. You can depend on this. Amen. You better depend on this. There's no other word from God than this right here. That's why in this church we preach the word of God. We don't preach man's opinions. We don't preach popularity or what's in the newspaper today. We preach the word of God. God's word is truthful. It reminds us of mankind's lost condition. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. It reminds us of God's provision for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It reminds us of Christ's sacrifice on the cross as we've talked about and it reminds us of God's ability to keep his promises. You can depend on the word of God. And it also reminds us of the truthfulness of the word as it speaks of the events of the last days. 
This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Difficult times. Are we living in difficult times today? I'd say we are. Perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Just look around you. We've got a good number here today, but guess what? We've got a lot of empty space. And you know why that is? Three-fourths of our membership loves pleasure more than love God. You say, preacher, don't say that. No, that's what the Word of God says. I'd rather stay home in bed than get up and go to church. I, I don't know if I saw this, I read this, I shared, tried to share it this morning. Listen, if Jesus could get up out of that tomb, you can get up out of bed and come to church. That's free, okay? Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And he says, from such, turn away. It reminds us of the return of Jesus. It reminds us of the coming tribulation. It reminds us of the millennial reign of Christ. When we look at that tomb, you have to either believe that that was the Son of God in that tomb and that he did just what the scripture says he did, or you have to say that's a wonderful made-up story, but I don't believe it. And here's something else the tomb reminds us of. It reminds us of our responsibility. Those of us who are saved, it reminds us of our responsibility to live daily for the Lord Jesus. See, he's coming back. We just don't know when. But I tell you what, I want to be living for him. I'd love to be in the pulpit preaching. When, I, you know, there might be some folks lost in here that day and just suddenly the preacher disappears out of the pulpit. Wouldn't that be? It'd be sort of shocking. But it reminds us he's coming back and we need to be living for him.